Well, we are, um, with regard to a sermon, we're in the, um, in the final message of a series that has taken us through uh, the, the book of James, the letter that uh, James wrote uh, to the churches back then. So this is the eighth, uh, eighth in a series. Pardon me for one moment. I forgot to bring a Kleenex up, and I'm going to struggle if I don't do this. Uh, so we're, we're wrapping up this series, and as I've said, uh, the series Faith That Works, uh, it's, it's faith, uh, faith in Jesus is faith that works for the one who believes, it's faith that changes our lives, and it's also faith that has an outworking in the world. It makes a difference in our neighborhoods and communities and our cities, at least it should. Right? So it's faith that works in, in, two, in two different kinds of ways. And James is a very practical book that... that answers a very basic question, which is this. If you really believe the gospel, if you really believe that we live in a world where a resurrection has happened, what, what might your life look like? What does that look like lived out in the world? God has revealed himself to us, made himself known to us, and our whole life is a response to that. And this week we're looking at the last part of chapter five where James concludes this practical letter uh, for living, and he finishes with two important things, the posture we are to take and the actions we are to pursue. Posture and, and action. And as Christians, James tells us how we should be, posture, and what we should do. So as you listen to the text this morning, listen for those two things, posture and action. Let's hear the word of the Lord. The reading today is from James chapter 5, verses 7 through 20. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn, spring, autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of joy songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So posture and action. Uh, sermon title, Patience and Prayer. Okay, we're done. <laughs> the posture we're to take, if summarized in a word, patience. The action we're to pursue, if summarized in a word, prayer, seeking the Lord. But there's more to it than that, of course. So says James, if we believe that we live in a world where a resurrection has happened, James tells us that we are to be patient, steadfast, and positive. Look, at, look again at what he wrote. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. That little word, then, means so much in the Bible. Be patient then. Whenever you see that, when you're reading the Bible, you have to remember that this statement, be patient then, means this is the logical conclusion of something that came just before this. It's referring back to a statement or an argument just made and saying, because of that, then you should believe or do this. So we have to ask, what was it that came right before this. Well, what came before was that whole part about God being in control and not us. So what James is saying here is, because you know God's in control, be patient. Be patient until the Lord's coming, which, as we know for Christians, means one of two things. Either we die or Jesus comes back. Because God is in control and because life is like a mist, the Lord's coming is near. Be patient with everyone and everything in this life. You don't have to get worked up. God's got this. God's got this. And James uses that farming illustration. You know, farmers sow seed, but farmers cannot make seeds grow. Farmers, no matter how much they might like to, can't rush the process. You can't get from A to Z without going through all the steps in between. And the only thing impatience accomplishes for the farmer is the sure delivery of a lesser life. You know, a life marked by worry and fretting and frustration and maybe even anger. And, and, and the logical subtext of what James is, is writing here is, why would you do that? 
As a Christian, you don't have to do that. You can be patient and steadfast. James writes this. You too, be patient and stand firm. Literally, be patient and be steadfast. Commentator Alec Motier helped me with the definitions of these words. Patience is the self-restraint which does not hastily retaliate against a wrong. Steadfastness is the temper which does not easily succumb under suffering. Patience. Not quick to hit back because we take some hits in life, right? Steadfast. Not, not easily uh, just to succumb under, under suffering because we will suffer. But Christians know that we can stand firm, not because of our own strength, not because we can hang on tightly enough, but because the foundation upon which we stand is immovable. Christ, the solid rock. James tells us that we're to be patient, steadfast, and positive. Don't miss that part. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Now, if you believe Jesus was who he claimed to be and seek to follow him as your leader, as your Lord, then your life is lined with hope. It's filled with hope. It's wrapped in hope. So, don't be a grumbler. No need to go there. There's too much hope. You think about what you believe. Remember who you are. Remember that as a Christian, you can hear the words that God spoke over Jesus at his baptism as words that God speaks over you, not just once, but every day. This is my son, my daughter, whom I love. With them, I am well pleased. Did you know that if you're in Christ, God is pleased with you? Not because you're getting it all right, not because you're avoiding all the really bad stuff, but because the perfect righteousness of Christ has been transferred to you. And when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. God is pleased. That's our posture. Patient, steadfast, and positive. So posture, how we are to be. Now the action we are to pursue or, or you know, what we should do. In, in the first portion of the scripture we read, verses 7 through 11, patience is mentioned seven times and is the summary of the posture we're to take in this life. In in the next half of the text, prayer is mentioned seven times. Kind of a parallel structure. If we had to summarize the action we're to pursue as Christians, it would be to pray. To pray. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. In the original language, those two words, trouble and happiness, were kind of opposite words uh, 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 making an umbrella under which all of life could stand. It's kind of like saying, are you troubled? Well, pray. Are you untroubled? Well, seek the Lord and, and pray. No matter where you're at, no matter what emotion you're experiencing, pray. You know, if, if you're experiencing very difficult times, and we know those will come. Earlier in the letter, James addressed that. It was kind of like he was saying, well, suffering is going to come your way. You know that, so you better be prepared for it. Don't get caught flat-footed as a Christian. Be prepared. And when it comes, pray. Seek the Lord. Persevere. 
And, and in some ways, for those who followed Christ for a while, that might be kind of obvious. You might kind of know, like in hard times, it's clear that I need to persevere. I kind of get that. But the second half isn't so intuitive. Are you untroubled? Is everything going swimmingly in your life? Maybe not perfect, but on the whole, you're doing great. You know what? You need to persevere through that time. Maybe with more intentionality than the hard times. And not forget God. Look at Motir again. Times of ease and affluence beg complacency, laziness, and the assumption that we are able of ourselves to cope with life and God is forgotten. You know, the Lord himself warned, of, warned us of this through Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, gave you your freedom spiritually out of the land of slavery. Now let's just be honest with each other, right? As a congregation, we're relatively affluent on the whole. This one's for us. It's not for other people out there. This one's for us. Don't forget God because your life is comfortable and you have plenty. That would be a critical spiritual error. So says James, no matter your circumstances, be they challenging or fantastic, valley or mountaintop, you know, troubled or untroubled, persevere in seeking the Lord and pray. And he says, if you're in a challenging time that involves illness, there are some special instructions. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now there's a lot to, there's a lot to unpack in that verse. and we're, This isn't primarily a message about those specific verses. But just, just three things I want to mention about that. Praying, praying, praying for healing, how do we do that, what do we do? First, there has been a boatload of horrible theology using these verses as proof texts. I mean, not the least of which is the horrible idea that if you pray for healing and a person isn't healed, the reason they weren't healed is that they didn't have enough faith. I, I still remember I was uh, an, an early Christian. I was living in Traverse City managing a small resort commuting from Elk Rapids to Traverse City to the church I attended up there. And I would listen to a, a call-in talk show and a woman who had been born blind called into this show. And it was kind of one of those ask the pastor kind of deals. And she said, you know, I, I, I was born blind. We've been praying that I would receive my sight all my life. I'm still blind. Just recently I went to church and the pastor prayed over me and, and I'm still blind. And, and he told me that I'm still blind because I didn't believe enough. To which the host said, uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek, 
And we all got that. Wow. So you're blind. You've got one of those canes with a red tip. I do. I want you to go back to that church, take your cane, and whack that pastor in the arm. <laughs> and then ask him, did it hurt? And if he says yes, tell him, it's because you didn't believe enough. So there's been a lot of bad theology. Second, sometimes we pray for healing and we don't experience the, the specific thing for which we're praying. We've all lost loved ones. We've all suffered. We, you know, death is still batting a thousand. Right? Healing is not, praying for healing is not the magic bullet to escape the, the ultimate consequences of sin. Right? I mean, um, but at the end of the day, Scripture pretty clearly invites us to pray for healing, for physical healing, and to continue to pray for healing. And I mean, we'll, we'll unpack this more at some time in, in the future, but I, I love something Ken Hughes wrote in his commentary about James. Remember, greater Christians than we have sought healing and failed. It's better to fail at an attempt to exercise faith than to let it lie dormant and fruitless. God never belittles those who attempt to follow him but he does chasten those who refuse to attempt anything for him. Interesting thought. Third, it's our responsibility as believers to make our need for healing known and to request the kind of uh, prayer that, that James is talking about. And the Bible very clearly says, if you're struggling with an illness, let them call the elders. The, the, the onus is upon us as believers to initiate this, to, to request this. And, and again, we can unpack the rationale there, but noodle on that one for a little bit because I think there's a lot to that. Uh, and a quick observation for what it's worth. I've only been a Christian since I was a senior in college, lived in Traverse City, lived in Holland, lived in Des Moines, Iowa, lived in Grand Rapids. Traverse City and Des Moines are different than West Michigan, different cultures. And what I've observed in West Michigan culture is uh, something of a reluctance to make our need of healing known. I haven't quite figured that out. And, I'm, and no criticisms. I, not every prayer request is public. I'm not saying that, right? I mean, it's, you gotta be smart and wise and all that. But I'm, and no, no criticism, just kind of wondering out loud, why is it that sometimes in West Michigan culture, we choose not to share our need for healing. Now, what's up with that? I've experienced that as being different in other cultures, in, in other cities. It seems to me that many times we're not praying for one another uh, simply because we don't know there's a need. So, are, are you troubled? Pray. Are you untroubled? Pray. Are you sick? Initiate. Take that step of faith yourself. Ask some people to pray. Call the elders. We'd love to come pray. And, and then this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Confess your sins to each other and pray so that you may be healed. You know, this is, this is, in my mind, pretty clearly talking about spiritual healing. Now, may, maybe sometimes still physical healing because it, it seems obvious to me that sometimes 
sin impacts us physically. Uh, But primarily, this seems to be talking about healing from a a kind of besetting sin, willful sin. You know, uh, King David writes of this in Psalm 19. You know, may may, uh, willful sin not rule over me not reign in my life, call the shots, that kind of thing. So what James is talking about is, is coming clean with another sister or brother in, in an appropriate setting, a lot of wisdom to be applied here. We don't air our laundry to everybody. But he, what James is talking about is with, with a trusted sister or brother confessing out loud actual concrete sin that is deeply embarrassing and which everything in you wants to hide. That's what we're talking about, as uncomfortable as that is. In in pre-World War II uh, Nazi Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer put together a kind of underground seminary where he had 25-ish kind of pastoral candidates and they they lived in, in very close community and it was out of that experience that he wrote his now famous book titled Life Together. And he just made observations about living in that tight-knit a Christian community and what he learned about biblical teaching. And there's a whole, the the last section is all about, um, uh, well, half about confession, about the the spiritual practice of mutual confession of sin and its spiritual power to bring freedom for the follower of Christ. Here's what he wrote. Confession in the presence of a brother is the profoundest kind of humiliation. It hurts. It cuts a man down. It is a dreadful blow to pride. To stand there before a brother as a sinner is an ignominy that is almost unbearable. In the confession of concrete sins, the old man dies a painful, shameful death before the eyes of a brother. Ouch. And so true. You know, it's the, that death of the old person that frees us not just from the penalty of sin but from the power of sin. And I hope you know that that's what Jesus is up to in your life right now. Jesus came to free us not just from the penalty of sin at the end of life but from the power of sin in this life and ultimately, as we remember at every Christian funeral, from even the presence of sin for that's, when we, that's what we celebrate when we say may he or she rest in peace. May they rest from the presence of sin. They're free, finally and fully. But the confession of sin to another believer is probably the sharpest tool in your box for joining God in what he is doing in your life to free you from the power of sin in the present. Are you struggling with sin? Pray about the right person. Go tell it to him out loud. Don't get stuck here because what what the principalities and powers want to see happen What the evil one wants to see happen is for you to go silent and to hold it all right here and to live a life of lonely isolation in your most embarrassing sin, hoping that no one ever, ever finds out. 
I want to tell you something. I already know. Not, not all the details, right? But I know you because I know me. And I know that I'm a liar. I know that I'm bent toward darkness and have proclivities I'm terribly embarrassed to admit. What James is talking about here is about not allowing that to get us stuck in life. Don't let that happen. You know, get confessed up and get healed up. This is the spiritual equivalent of the wooden stake to the vampire's heart. You want to know how to kill the monster? It's right here. Hard times? Pray. Good times? Pray. Sick? Make it known and pray. Stuck in sin? Pray about the right person? Confess it out loud and pray for each other so that you may be healed, freed of the power of sin. See, to believe in Jesus is to believe in the power of prayer, of what, what we're called to do, the action we're called to pursue. In the fourth century, there emerged probably one of the church's greatest preachers. He was known in the beginning uh, as John of Antioch, uh, and, and soon given the name, which you probably know better, Chrysostom, which literally means golden-mouthed, because when he spoke, his words landed with spiritual gold. Chrysostom surveyed the scripture and put together in his own words just a short description of the power of prayer based on biblical examples. Here it is. The potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the fates of heaven, assuaged diseases, dispelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course, and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. There is in it an all-sufficient and splendid display, a treasure undiminished, a mine which is never exhausted, a sky unobscured by clouds, a heaven unruffled by the storm. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. That's prayer for the believer. And the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and, and effective and remember, what that's talking about has a dual meaning. We're not righteous because we're avoiding our sin better than other people. We're righteous because we've been made righteous by Jesus. So when that reality corresponds with a life of actively confessing the willful sin to which we're drawn, one's prayer life begins to ignite, really. And says the scripture, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And this is where James ends. 
his very practical letter for living. If you really believe the gospel, moving forward, you'll be patient and you will pray. So rather than talking about it, let's do it. Let's pray together. Let's spend some time praying together. Uh, Jana mentioned this little prayer request card. If you're in the front row, there are just some sitting out. If you're uh, sitting back there in the uh, holders in front of you, we're going to sing a, a song in a moment, and we didn't quite feel ready for like a close prayer ministry time. So there's a little basket over here and a little basket over here. And I invite you, let's, let's pray together. If you write a request, just bring it up during the song, drop it in one of those baskets, and Jana and I will pray through those out loud here in the service uh, as, as we close. And you can see on that little card if you'd like that to be shared more broadly with our, our staff and prayer team or continue to be shared with the congregation through our e-news, you can indicate that as well. Are you troubled? Are you untroubled? Are you sick? Are you stuck in sin? Let's pray for one another that we may be healed. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you so much for the, the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit in our, in our lives. If we were left to our own devices, we would be utterly lost. God, we acknowledge, we confess before you that we can't fix us. And more than that, Lord Jesus, we entirely relinquish that attempt right now. And we fall at your feet and ask you, Lord, to help us wherever it is that we have need. Pour out your spirit on us and empower us to pray and to pray for one another. We love you, Lord, and we ask in your name. Amen.